Oh, dear Lord, we ask for your blessing on our time. Pray that you help us to think well about the ministry of the word, the life of a local church. Pray that you would sanctify us in the truth. Oh, Lord, your word is true. He has us all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Oh, yes. So good to see y'all. Are we doing Zoom again? Amen. If there's one, she's on there right now. Deborah, he goes after the one. He leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. Thanks for joining us. Huh? I know that she's strange. She trying to get, she trying to gather. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Okay. Well, Sister Deborah, thank you for being here. Looking forward to you actually being here in a couple weeks. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Um, all righty. Well, it's been a while since we've done Bible study. Same rules apply. Same expectations can be had. I'm still struggling with the time thing. And so we're working on this, Jez. We're working on this. this is, so it was th- it's been three months. So I'm thinking like I get a little bit of grace period. To, I, I was telling about today. I think I'm going to be like 30 minutes. But then I had 26 pages of notes. And so I, I just started like cutting stuff. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. So there that is. Um, this is the Uticus hour. Uh, <laughs> hope you brought your blankets and your sleeping bags. We're getting in the word. Um, so yeah, restrooms right over there. Um, the, well, the group this size, just if you ever come earlier, the blue line is for the ladies restroom. The men, if there needs to be a line, you line up on this hallway. There's tape, white tape for the men's restroom, blue tape for the women's restroom. And there's hand sanitizers in both of those bathrooms and there some on the front table. And we will keep that here. Uh, just so you know, layout of the land. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and, uh, and jump in. <sighs> it's really weird because we are, we only do one service, so I don't know what it's like to do two services. I imagine this is something like that. Uh, um, okay, Second uh, Timothy chapter two. Wow, Second Timothy chapter four. Excuse me, verse two. Go ahead and say amen when you get there. Amen, amen. Francesca, how do you say amen in Italian? Is it still amen? Amen, yeah. How do you say I'm there in Italian? Yeah, okay. Did I say it? Get the same. Um, Second Timothy chapter, I know it's late and anything's possible right now. Second Timothy chapter four, verse two. <clears throat> Uh, we're actually going to be spending our time just thinking about the first three words of verse two, um, but I do dabble and uh, hop around the surrounding and immediate context, but we're just going to be focusing on those first three words. Preach the word. Um, one of the reasons we're doing this series right now is just out of a conviction that God has gifted his churches with pastors and that that gifting of pastors is part of God's care for his churches. Uh, He gifts men with pastoral gifts, and then he gifts those men to his churches. Uh, According to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, God is the one who gave uh, them shepherds and teachers. Uh, A church certainly recognizes its pastors and calls its own pastors, but 
All we understand a church is doing at that point is just acknowledging what God has provided in their midst. Uh, Acts 20 through 28 says, while, you know, even though the, the church might pick elders, Acts 20, 28 says uh, that the pastors, the, they pastor the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. So it's actually gifted by the Lord, installed by the Lord, recognized by the church because of the Lord's wisdom. Uh, so pastors are gifts from God. And this is one reason we wanted to spend some time thinking through what does pastoring even mean? Um, we thought it would be a helpful time uh, just to kind of clarify what do we want to expect from pastors? What does the Bible say about pastors so that we can have the most life-giving relationship with our pastors as a church, right? So God has gifted them to us for our, our, our joy in him and for our good in Christ. Uh, now, we've had a variety of different experiences in the life of this church, right? So some have had very bad experiences with pastors, very poor experiences with churches. So we want to we want to be aware of that. We want to be on guard against that. We want to try to rid ourselves of that and just come to God's word and seek to have it be positively formed. What is it supposed to mean to have a pastor? What are they supposed to do? Um, and that's a question that we all would do really well to understand. And that's what we want to help the church uh, with. So we can have, so that's what these five pillars came from, right? Uh, the, the Bible wants there to be a wonderful and a warm relationship between a congregation and her ministers. And one way that that is experienced and that is pursued is if we're rightly together under the word, allowing the word to dictate what that relationship is to look like and be like and what it's supposed to consist of. Uh, in the Bible, we're called to obey our leaders and to submit to our pastors because we're told that they keep watch over our souls, Hebrews 13, 17. We're called to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, 1 Thessalonians 5, 13. And so clearly the, the scripture speaks very highly of the pastor's watch and the pastor's work. And so we want to be clear about, well, what does that even mean? Um, it's something that we as pastors want to think well about since we will be held accountable uh, to it. And it's something we as a congregation want to think well about so that we can steward the gifts the Lord has given us. And that's what this series is hoping to serve, right? Giving us as a congregation a vision for pastoral ministry that we think is biblical and we hope is unifying to the congregation. So uh, we've come up with five pillars. Uh, these are not exhaustive. These are categories. We're trying to make clear categories, consider it handles for us to grab the whole of what scripture is teaching about the subject. So these are kind of five pillars that we're hoping helps simplify uh, what we understand um, pastors to do and what we understand pastoring to mean. Those five pillars, again, I will say, preach all the word, pray all the prayers, manage all the church, Equip all the saints and care for all the flock. And our aim in, in this is that we're, we're hoping by those pillars to give some kind of agreed upon and understood definition of what it means for pastors to watch over our souls and to be devoted to pastoral work. So we want to make sure that we're thinking about the same thing when we're considering those things. And so we're hoping that this is, this is an encouraging time for us as a church, as we consider just God's kindness to us through in the pastoral office. So just some quick context about the letter of 2 Timothy, which is what we'll be coming from, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, Paul apparently knew that his time was at hand. So let's go ahead and look at 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 through 8. Uh, Paul says this, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure 
has come. Anybody want to tell us what that means? Remember, this is Bible study. You can yell stuff out. Uh, please don't yell at me, but you can yell stuff out and ask questions. Who thinks who think they know what that means? He's about to be given over to death. He's about to be given over to death, right? Jez is correct. We know that from verse 7, right? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, right? So when Jesus is talking about being poured out as a drink offering, it has nothing to do with him hydrating himself. We talk about the time of his departure. This is not the same as when he would go in, on a different course of ministry journey. He's talking about being poured out on the altar of their faith, poured out even unto death. He's talking about departing. That is, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. He's departing to be with the Lord. Um, he was on his way out. And who knows where he was at when he wrote this letter? It's in chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, where he was. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Bible Quiz, 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 Quiz. <laughs> I have a book for the first person to find the answer. hear that? That is the sound of study. Of be, this, that's the sound of Berean makes, is this. We're, we're, we're going to get it soon. I feel it. Second Timothy chapter 2. I'll, I'll give you guys a quick hint. It's between verse 8 and verse 11. He's in jail, Jez. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's in jail. You guys are probably thinking about a place, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of a trick question. Jez, do you want to read a book by Gray Lanyard called How We Got the Bible? Yeah. It's, it's totally really good book. No problem. <clears throat> yeah, he's in jail. Um, yeah, we see that right there in chapter 2, verse 9. Right, uh, you begin at verse eight. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Right, so he wrote Timothy this letter near the end of the life of his life, right around the corner from death, while he was locked up. Right, so even from the prison block, Paul is seeking to strengthen the church and encourage his son Timothy. And the faith, and, and not just in the faith, but we see here in the ministry. Um, uh, uh, here we have the Apostle Paul himself giving something of a personalized minister's manual to young Timothy. Young Timothy was dear to Paul. Uh, we know this from chapter one in both letters. He calls him his, his true child, and he calls him his beloved child, verse two of both letters. Um, and so this is, uh, Timothy was someone dear to him. And he was trying to equip him, not just with a fuller Christian life, but with a full pattern for pastoral ministry. And we see this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, because he's telling Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, right? So he's, he's, he's seeking to have Timothy follow his pattern of the faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. And he's giving him just a gospel-weighted understanding of what it means to be a pastor of God's church. Uh, since, since the gospel 
is the same for every person and God's glory is to be extended to every place, the shape of pastoral ministry ought to be similar in every church. Uh, that's why these letters have been prized as encyclopedias for pastoral ministry. Uh, we get to hear directly from the Apostle Paul on what a pastor ought to be doing. Um, so what is a pastor supposed to be doing? What is he, or specifically, what is he supposed to be saying? Paul says very clearly, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, they are to be preaching the word. He tells us plainly and he tells us clearly uh, he's to be a preacher of the word. From this passage, we're going to look at what a pastor is to preach, what a pastor is to do, slash what a pastor is to preach. There's other subpoints that we'll kind of get to, um, but we're going to really just try to restrict our, our focus on those three first words of verse two, preach the word, right? The work of, a, of pastoring is important to a believer's thriving. Uh, God did not give us pastors for no reason, right? He gave them to aid us in our walk with Jesus and in our progress towards heaven, in our sanctification, and in our happiness in the Lord. Uh, the work is so important that God wanted the pastors to be clear about what they're supposed to be doing, anyone in the church to be clear on what the pastors are supposed to be doing. And he gives us instruction surrounded what they're supposed to be doing. He tells his ministers exactly what they're to be saying, what they're to be preaching. They're to be preaching the word. Preach the word. Uh, it's it's really important that we don't gloss over that central clarity regarding what a pastor's supposed to be saying. Uh, God gives us a very clear answer to the question of, well, what are they supposed to be saying? Like, why can't a pastor just say what they want to? Why can't they just come up with stuff? Why can't they just offer you their new hot take on what's happening all around them? Well, well, God's word tells us why, right? He tells them, he calls them to do something else. He gifted them, he made them, he placed them there, he appointed them there, and he calls them to do what he's told them to do, and that is to preach the word. In John 21, uh, God, uh, excuse me, John 21, uh, this is after Jesus has resurrected. Uh, remember, Peter had denied Jesus. Um, and he went away weeping. Uh, Jesus had raised from the dead, but hadn't seen Peter yet. And then they finally uh, connect. He comes to that shore. Peter sees him. He, he says, ah, he jumps in the water, swims ashore. There's fish and they're, you know, they're cooking fish and bread. Um, and Jesus and Peter have this conversation in John 21, verse 15 through 17. Uh, when they had finished breakfast, because they had fish and bread for breakfast. There that is. But when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Well, our question is, feed them what? 
What does Jesus want his sheep to be fed? And we find in our text, God's answer, thunder from 2 Timothy 4, 2. He tells them exactly what to feed. He says, feed them my word. Preach the word. Uh, this is the work that pastors are to be given to and, and that they're to protect. Um, in Acts chapter 6, uh, there was a significant matter of church unity. If you're not familiar with it, I would encourage you to look it up when you get a chance. But the gospel is going forward. People is getting saved. The church is starting to pop off. And in Acts chapter 6, we're told that a complaint arose from the Hellenists. Uh, the Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews, a Greek culture Jews, and they were being neglected, the widows were, in the daily distribution by the Hebrews, right? So there's this kind of, you got this little ethnic pride tension happening, and you got widows not getting their daily distribution. And it's a big matter. It's a matter of church unity, and it makes its way up to the apostles, as we would expect for a big matter of church unity. Uh, but what we find from the apostles is actually something very interesting, and that is, even though there was a serious and real threat to church unity, the apostles were not willing to leave their lane of ministry focus. Uh, even though there was an important matter to deal with, others could address it just fine. They had unique work assigned to them in the Lord that they were not willing to be distracted from. So in Acts chapter 6, verse 2, it says, The twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, they don't mean this in a demeaning kind of way, like, oh, you go serve the tables. No, no, no. Serving tables was important. It's, it, it's serving, right? Um, but they're saying there's a kind of serving we're called to, preaching the word, that it's actually not right to neglect preaching the word for this other needed area of service. Therefore, brothers, pick out from you among from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. Yeah, let's get some godly people. Let's get them, put them to work. And let's, let's deal with this matter. But it's not right for us to give up this important matter based on what our role is. It says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I had a pastor in D.C. who used to regularly say, I am willing to let every ministry in the church fail except for the ministry of the word. And that is because, and this is based on the conviction that the word is actually what enlivens and energizes all of the other activity for the people of God. Uh, the word is what fuels all the faithfulness of all the saints, right? It's the word that gives life, and it's only the word. Uh, you remember that famous description of the properties of the word of God in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10 through 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. Just like the water comes down and causes things to, to, to live, causes life to spring forth, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. Uh, this is why Paul could say, even though he was in chains, God's word is not chained. I'm bound up. God's word isn't bound up. It can't be bound up. The work God requires is going to spring up from the word of God being in God's people. 
And this is why they're to give the pastors, they're to give themselves to making sure they're putting God's word before God's people and to do it all the time. A pastor is to preach all the word and to do it all the time. You, you see this in verse two, right? Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Uh, based on what kind of church tradition you come from, I came from one where when people were talking about preparing for pastoral ministry, they used to talk about a pocket sermon, right? A pocket sermon was at any given moment, uh, a minister in training could be called on to deliver the sermon. And it was expected that you were ready to go. And they, 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 they talked about having a, a sermon in your back pocket, which means uh, you, you better be ready because if, 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 if a pastor gets sick and somebody got to preach, he's going to call on you who's supposed to be a minister. You better be ready to give them God's word in season and out of season. Um, you know, that's not exactly, I think, what's meant here. But what, he's, what he is talking about is a, when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. He's not saying you must have a, you know, a pocket sermon. But he's saying you, you always must be committed to preaching the word all that when it's when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient, when you're going to be favored for it and when you're going to be looked at in unfavorably. Jez, is that the right word? Unfavorably? Okay, but you get what I mean. Uh, praise God. Uh, Spurgeon uh, it, it comments on this, this, just this idea that in season and out of season means that the, the word from God's ministers really should be going forth at all times, and you don't get to pick when the power comes. Um, it's not like on Sundays, God's really going to meet us in his word, but on Thursdays, he's kind of going to meet us in his word. No, no, no. Where his word is, so shall it be with my word. All of God's power accompanies all of his word. So as the minister is giving God's people his word, God's power is coming forth with it, which is why at all times when a minister is preaching God's word, whether that's in the living room or whether that's on a platform somewhere, we should be anticipating God meeting with us and blessing us in his word. Uh, Spurgeon writes this. He says, sometimes these out-of-season sermons preached at night or some unusual time have been of more service than the regular ordinances of God's house. Sometimes it's a late night convo you might have with a fellow saint who's actually sharing the word with you and accurately so that, that's bringing this tremendous change. And he's saying, this is the life of a minister. It's like, you, you're always on, you're always sharing God's word because God's word is, is always what God's people need and his power is always accompanying it. Uh, we, we never know when God has appointed a blessing for us, uh, which is why a minister is to always be eager to share the word at every opportunity, whether it's a convenient one or an inconvenient one, right? Have we not learned much from the Sermon on the Mount and equally as much from Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night? Uh, it may be in the thick of a Sunday morning gathering, or it could be in an evening service of the church. It may be at a Bible study. It may be at a dining room table one evening with a few saints. Wherever the word is preached, the power of God's voice accompanies it. I mean, just consider the Lord Jesus' ministry, how much encouragement and consolation we receive from God's word being spoken in all different kinds of settings, both when it was pleasant for him, when he's in a plush field on a mountain chilling, or even when he's before Pilate and he stands in chains. Uh, this, the, the word of God is still 
powerful. Uh, the Lord poured out blessings on the mountainside or when Jesus preached to people on the shoreline. We'll think about that this Sunday, right? We've received grace through listening to his conversations with his disciples as they went on their way. The disciples and us too were just instructed at dinner tables, right? That's where the Lord's Supper was instituted, right? Or at the house of the unworthy ones who received him that they might learn from him. Or about in the garden of Gethsemane, where we find uh, the words that shape all of our prayers, do we not? Not my will, but your will be done. Or in the prayer closet, in the prayer room, where we learn how to pray. That came from a side combo the disciples had with Jesus. Have not all of these regular places been converted into pulpits? And Paul is telling Timothy, be always on, but make sure what's coming out of you is God's word. Preach God's word. Preach the word. Uh, before we keep going, any questions, comments, thoughts, anything? And we're going to keep moving. Y'all know we was late last time, so I know y'all trying to, okay, here we go. Uh, the great work of pastoral ministry is a proclaiming work, and it's in the proclaiming of the word. Uh, you might recall earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, we find the qualifications of an elder. And the only unique qualification that we find in the qualification of an elder is what? What I mean by only unique one. So the elder qualifications have qualifications for Christian, like mature Christianity. But there's one that is not corresponding to mature Christianity. It stands kind of in its own category. Somebody say something might be able to teach, right? And the reason that's a unique qualification is because it relates uniquely to the role of their office. An elder must possess the obvious ability to teach God's word in a helpful manner. This is because teaching God's word is central to the aim and the function of their office. Reproving, he says here, right? Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, 2 Timothy 4.2. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Uh, your, your translations might read correct and rebuke and encourage, which are synonymous terms for what we find there, right? So that the minister is to be always seeking to sow life into the congregation through sowing the word into the congregation, always eager to instruct the congregation to correct the congregation, to encourage the congregation in the way of Christ according to the word of God. And this is to, to, to be what the pattern of the ministry is. God has given us ministers to do these things. So when you look at that list, and we kind of are open to the exhort one, right? We like the exhort one, slash, if then you encourage. There's a couple of ways you can take that. You know, no one signs up for the reprove me line or the rebuke me line. But God says we need that. We need that as his people. Part of how we stay closely tethered to the cross is by hearing God's word preached to us. In hearing his word preached to us, do we not hear our sin identified? Are we not given a better sighting of ourselves before the glory of the Lord? In, in hearing God's word preached to us, do we not hear how much the Lord loves us through the Lord Jesus and how much we must seek to, to submit to him and obey him and how right and good that is? These are all benefits that happen through his word when we are reproved and rebuked and exhorted. Well, let a righteous man strike me. It's a kindness to me. Let him do it so much, we're going to actually put some of our number and ask them to do that for a living. Hey, will you reprove us, rebuke us, and exhort us? In his word, we need that, and we need it all the time. When it's convenient, when it's not convenient, please 
do that for us. And we should learn this. God saying, you need that. All of us need that. I need that. You need that. You need that. Whenever we're 17, when we're seven, when we're 70, six weeks. Amen. Praise the Lord, Miss Karen. Uh, like we need this. We need the reproving and rebuking and correcting and instruction and encouragement of the scriptures. But this is why, dear congregation, if your pastors arrange a time of instruction for the benefit of the church and the advantage of your soul, you really should do everything in your power to be there. This is why they're there, to help their watchmen over your soul. Just consider how kind God is to, he would literally just set aside some people and say, I want your life just to be about watching their souls. Just keep giving them my word. That's a sign of his, his love towards us. And so when the watchmen say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna send a, it's time to preach the word. Like, 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 like flowers who are dry, we should be eager to be watered by the word of God. So uh, what is it, one, one, I think it's J.C. Rao says, make sure that your seat is never empty when the means are going forth. Christ has appointed these men to feed us. And so it's our job to be around when the food is being served up. You know, uh, a hot meal is better than a cold meal. Amen. Yeah. So you want to be there when the when the when the when the chefing is occurring. Okay. My kids don't like oatmeal. Uh, uh, and we tell them what's worse than oatmeal is cold oatmeal. Uh, right. So if you don't like what what's being said to you in the moment, just you're not gonna, you're really not gonna like it if it has to come back around. You know what I mean? And so God, God wants this ministry to have its full effect in each of our souls. It's far good. And we look at that and we say, we know we need that. We, you read that, you say, I know I need that. You know, and and, and this, is, this is what pastors are to do. They're to be about doing that by the word. And we're told a way that they can do it. And we didn't get to get to this last time. We said with complete patience and teaching. Right? This isn't to be a harsh word. He doesn't want a harsh word spoken to his church. He wants a tender word, a complete word, a whole word that builds up the whole man in the Lord Jesus Christ and with patience to see the fruit that's born. But all these things are at work in the life of a congregation through the proclamation of the word, cutting the saints up, pruning them as though it were. But we know God's pruning is not to cut us to our harm. It's to help us to bear more fruit. And that's what happens whenever we're sitting under the word of God. Now, there's many things that people want pastors to preach about. Perhaps these days, that's more obvious than ever for us, right? There's certain political ideas or philosophical ideas or cultural ideas. This was true in Timothy's day as well, right? Uh, he'll say this right there in verse three, if you look down there, for the time is coming. And it's not that it wasn't around because we know about Hymenaeus and Alexander. We know about Homogenes. Uh, and uh, was it Phygelus, Fy Fy however you say his name, I'm going to say his name, in chapter one, that people were already departing from the truth. They were spreading false teaching. It was spreading like gangrene, uh, which we, we, we see there in chapter two, verse 17, that talk, they were talking inconsistent with the word, inconsistent with the gospel message. So that had already happened, but Paul is letting Timothy know, and it's about to be a wave that's about to hit you. For the time is coming, he says in verse 3, when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, 
they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Now, there was a time when the big violation for this, I would say, would have been the prosperity gospel or maybe some other things that was more work-based, but it's, it's all, that's not the only disguise this wears. He says people are just going to gather teachers that tell them what they want to hear in accordance with their own passions. And we know our own passions don't lead us in the way of Christ. Right? We know that this had not just been a problem at this moment, but this had been a problem in the life of the church. A couple of years before Paul wrote this letter, he wrote the letter to the Colossians, right? when he was doing his first bid in prison. And the, the letter he wrote to the Colossians, chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So it's like, listen, Christ is good enough for all of God to be in. Make sure you stay in him too. Because in him, you are full, you're filled up, you have all you need. And the only way that we get all that Christ has for us is by sticking to all the words of Christ. Listen, news outlets have no authority to determine what a pastor preaches. Governments have no authority to determine what a pastor preaches. No member of the church or no pastor serving a church has the authority to dictate what a pastor is supposed to preach. Now, there's, there's, there's freedom for how the pastor preaches the word. Like, we're not told we must go line by line, precept by precept. We're not told we must go chapter to chapter. We're not told which way we must move through the Bible. What we're told is to stick to what's in the Bible. So there is freedom there. I don't mean, like, the, the, nobody can tell you what sermon series to do. No, I'm talking about what... What collection or body of communication should control what comes out of a pastor's mouth when he gets before his people? There is nothing under earth that has the authority to determine that. That authority belongs completely to God, and God has told us clearly his decision. Preach the word. But before he says preach the word in this text, look up at verse 1. He brings all the weight and all the burden of heaven on that command. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. There is someone you are accountable to, preacher. There's someone you will have to give an account to and people you have to give an account for. And the one you're going to be accountable to is God himself. And I charge you in his presence, stick to his words the king of heaven, God himself, Christ, the judge of all. I charge you in his presence, Paul says, he who made all things by his word, he who will judge all things by his word, he who will return according to his word, and he who reigns with the words of his power, I charge you in his presence, preach his words. Timothy, and he's saying this soberly, he's saying this clearly, he's saying this passionately, he's saying this weightedly. Timothy, remember who you serve. Remember who owns that mouth. Remember who appointed you to serve that church. Remember what he said to you. Remember who's going to judge you, Timothy. Remember who's going to judge everyone you're speaking to, Timothy. Remember the account you will have to give 
when you appear before him and when all your hearers have to appear before him as well. Imagine the sight, saints. The glorious Lord seated on his throne, calling his ministers to give an account. And we're told the way he's going to judge them is with great strictness. They will have greater scrutiny. This is why James says, don't let a lot of y'all sign up to do this job. Judging all his ministers, judging all they said, and judging everyone who ever listened to them preach. What must a minister do in order to not be ashamed in that moment for himself and to prepare all those who will hear him to be appearing before that judge as well? Paul says, that's what's on the line here, Timothy. It's on the line is whether you're going to upset somebody, whether you're going to get an email saying, I wish you wouldn't have said that. What's on the line, Timothy, is God is going to hold you accountable. And God is going to hold everybody you're talking to accountable. Preach the word. But what must he do to be have a clear conscience on that day? Right? Paul thought about this for himself in ministry. If you remember in Acts 20, uh, Paul was on his way to Jerusalem, knowing he would be arrested. And he called the pastors of Ephesus together. They were in Miletus. And what he told them in Acts 20 was this. He says, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all. He says, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What a thing to say to your hearers. Paul says, I just want all y'all to know, I got a clear conscience. Because I gave to you the whole counsel of God. I didn't shrink back from giving it to you. I didn't shift from the hope of the gospel. I didn't deviate from preaching his word. I didn't swerve from the truth and make shipwreck of my faith or make shipwreck of yours. You remember in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul was telling a young Timothy about how he must handle his ministry. And he told him, Timothy, pay close attention. Give a close watch to yourself and to the teaching. For by doing so, you will do what? Who remembers? Let me say something. Save yourself and your hearers. By not watching the teaching, you're messing with yourself and your hearers. Paul says, mm -mm, the pattern of my ministry, no blood on my hands. He has a clear conscience. Because I did not shrink back from preaching the word. But what does it mean to preach the word? How do we know when it's done sufficiently? To preach the word means to have a teaching ministry that is chained to the contents of the Bible, giving particular focus to the gospel of Christ as its main message. So preaching the word means to have a teaching ministry that is chained to the contents of the Bible. So we don't open up any other book Sunday. We don't just start talking about random stuff, right? We're there to 
We're chained to the contents of what's in this book. We believe that this is God's word. That's why no matter where we're reading on Sunday, whether we read in Revelation, whether we read in Exodus, when that passage gets done read and somebody, somebody says, and this is God's word, and the church says, thanks be to God. Chained to the contents of the Bible, right? Giving regular focus, excuse me, giving a particular focus to the gospel of Christ as its main message. Right, it's to regard God's word as exactly that, God's word. Right, just a couple verses before this charge, Paul reminds Timothy of the attributes of scripture. He reminds him of why they are worthy of his complete focus. Right, you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and it says what? All of scripture, everything in this book, is breathed out, is God-breathed, right? It's breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness. That sounds like what a pastor's supposed to be doing, right? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is how the man of God is equipped for every good work. This is how the church of God is equipped for every good work. It has everything needed for the man of God to be faithful and everything needed for the congregation to be faithful as well. Like, keep a close watch. Focus on that. It has what's needed for salvation for you and for all who hear you. It's sufficient for that. Now, when we hear those two things about him being devoted to the scriptures, right, preach the word, all the scriptures, and then we hear Paul say, keep a close watch on the teaching for by doing so, you save yourself and your hearers. One question comes in my mind is, how does a commitment to the teaching correspond to the saving of souls? How is it that a human close watch on the teaching, he saves not only his soul, but the souls of his hearers? Well, that must mean that it depends on what you teach and how you teach it. So there's a way to preach God's word and not preach salvation. There's a way to hold out God's word and not hold out any saving benefits. That's what the Jews did. They were Bible people. But they didn't understand what the Bible was about. So that must mean in order to preach the word faithfully, you must explain the God-breathed word of God and show how it concerns the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, right before he gave us that collection of attributes of scripture, look up at the next verse above that in verse 15. Paul says, you remember, Timothy, how the Bible got unfolded for you. Second uh, Timothy 3.15, he says that Timothy had been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. Now we're getting a connection between the teaching of the scriptures and it being able to make someone wise for salvation, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. So we see here in this call to preach the word in 4.2 that our task as pastors is to show what the contents of the scripture means and how it connects to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in order to preach the word faithfully, you must preach the gospel from the text faithfully. I love when I hear members of this church listening to a sermon and always 
listen to a sermon this way, where somebody might have taught the passage, they might have explained the passage, but they didn't preach Christ. And, and someone says, did they preach the gospel? That's one of the most important questions you can ask when you listen to a sermon. Was this about Jesus? Now there's all kind of preacher faux pas. They might've just forgot to say some stuff. So it still could have been connected, but you don't ever assume a connection to Christ because that's what you're supposed to be preaching. To preach the word is to preach Christ. Preach the word, Paul says in Colossians 1, him we proclaim. Well, which one is it? Yes. The Lord Jesus says, this is the only way to read and teach the Bible correctly. John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And they do, but it's through how they bear witness about me. We see the same connection in 2 Timothy 2, 8. We all read it earlier when we found out Paul was in prison. Listen to the connection Paul makes between the gospel and the word of God. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Is he talking about the gospel or the word of God? Yes. Or in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2, Paul uh, uh, equates the testimony of God with the preaching of Christ and him crucified. We didn't come to you with eloquence when we told you the testimony of God. I chose to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Hold up. I thought you said preach the word, Paul. I thought you said you didn't shrink back from declaring the full counsel of God, Paul. What do you mean nothing but Christ and him crucified? Well, how else you going to preach Christ and him crucified without preaching the Bible? And how do you preach the Bible without preaching Christ and him crucified? They're inseparable. The word of God and the gospel of Christ, they're two sides of the same coin. And Paul tells Timothy, and through him, pastors, and not just pastors, but these pastors here, and not just pastors here, but all the church everywhere who reads this letter that God has given to his church, what the ministers are supposed to do is preach the word. You will save yourself from a great deal of trouble if you remember this is what a preacher is supposed to do to preach the word. And in preaching the word, that means he must explain the contents of the passage and show how it concerns the Lord Jesus. All of God's word is at our disposal to show the church all that he has for us in Christ. That's why we have it. That's why it's no contradiction. That connection is no contradiction. That's why it's no contradiction when Paul, to look here and say, I charge you in the presence of God, preach the word. And when he wrote the Corinthians to say, and make sure the matter of first importance is that gospel. How? Because the gospel is the right unrolling of the scriptures. First, Timothy, first Corinthians 15, I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, Mr. Ken. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You know how the gospel is of first importance when you preach the word? He preached the gospel in preaching the scriptures, and in preaching the scriptures, he preached the gospel. And this is what pastors are to do. They are to be chained to the book of God and show how it concerns the Son of God. And if they don't do one of those things, they ain't preach the word. 
You know what a sandwich is with no bread? Not a sandwich. Y'all talking about but lettuce, not a sandwich. Every sermon and every teaching in the life of a church that is claiming to be on behalf of God should aim to have two essential ingredients or Eric, it ain't a sandwich. Those two ingredients, a passage of scripture and the gospel. A passage of scripture and the gospel. And we're not talking about you just throw it in there. You talk about whatever you want to talk about and say, oh yeah, there's a Bible verse. And then, you know, Christ died for our sins. No, no, no. The point of what's being said is the passage of scripture and the gospel. This is how we give God glory, right? By not shrinking back from teaching his words. Not being ashamed of preaching his gospel. That's where the power is. This is how we honor him who has redeemed us. And this is where all of y'all were trickling in at the end of the last time, but you're going to catch it again. Where did this come from? Where does this conviction come from? Where does this understanding come from? Where does this orientation come from? Paul says, it came from the fact that he saved me. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, flip there real quick. This is before you get to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is 2 Timothy chapter 1. Remember, he's trying to press on him his pattern of faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says this, verse 8. Right? He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. And, and the reason he's telling them this is because Paul was locked up for doing this. He was locked up for preaching the gospel. When he says in season and out of season, it might mean convenient, inconvenient, like in terms of like, I'm tired. That certainly means that. But what he's saying is, this might get you in jail. Paul's going to die because of this gospel. In season and out of season. You know what he was doing in jail? He was preaching the gospel. He's out preaching his word. Felix, you going to catch it? Agrippa, you going to catch it? Everybody in Rome, you can catch it? I'm here to preach the gospel. I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. Where did he get that from? He says, it's happening to me. He said, Timothy, don't, don't shrink back from that. Focus on that. Don't get caught up in all this other stuff. You're not, a, you're not a, a professor in the academy. That's not your job. You don't work for the Supreme Court. You're not working for the Senate. You're not the president. You're not a pundit. You're a preacher. He says, remember what happened. Look at verse 8. Don't, don't be ashamed of the testimony. I know of me as prisoner. Share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Look at verse 9. Who saved us? And called us to a holy calling. And listen to this. You know what he's doing right here? He's preaching the gospel to Timothy as he's calling Timothy to preach the gospel. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, 
Christ Jesus, who abolished death, keep going, Paul, and brought life, keep going, Paul, and immortality to light, keep going, Paul, through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a I was appointed to preach, preach what? To preach that. God doesn't say, man, you got some nice talking gifts. Why don't you just tell people stuff? No, no, no. He saves us and then says, go tell them about me. And Paul says, how would you not when he saved me? He called me, he says, not, not because of my works, but all of his grace. He abolished death for me. He brought me life and immortality through the gospel. How would I not hold that out to other people? His word has saved me. That's what Paul said. His words say, how would I turn to something else? And this is our testimony too, Timothy. This is your testimony too. Timothy, this is your testimony too. Valter, you say this to any pastor, preacher you will ever have. This is your testimony too, brother. Preach the word. Oh, friends, we deserve death. We deserve to never hear a pleasant word spoken to us from the mouth of God. We deserve judgment on top of judgment. We deserve wrath on top of wrath. The very essence of sin is that we have refused to listen to the good word of God. To sin means to ignore God's word. Us in our sin was us plugging our ears not caring about what God had to say or knowing what he had to say and have the audacity to be like, nah. But he saved us. And, and how did he save us? We heard the gospel. We heard his word. You say, well, which gospel? I don't know. I was hearing his word, and his word was telling me about Christ, and I, I heard his voice. In sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the word made flesh, he saved us. Rather than speak a word of judgment to us, Mr. Ken, he speaks a word of eternal life. And his word is so precious to us now that we don't care whether it's a rebuking word or a removal word or an exhorting word, as long as it's his word. Jesus was kicking him hard sayings, and all, a bunch of his disciples started leaving him. He said, Peter, y'all leaving? Peter said, where are we going? You have the eternal life words, and we believe. 